Exodus chapter 2. We're looking at the latter part of chapter 2, from verse 11 to verse 22, so not quite to the end of the chapter. This is moving on from what we spoke about last week, which was the birth of Moses and him being drawn out of the water, hence his name, drawn out of the Nile. He was protected in his little um, ark, we talked a bit like Noah, a miniature Noah's ark, uh, covered by tar or bitumen to make it um, protective from sinking. But as we thought about it, it was put in like given to God for his protection. There was obviously great dangers. Uh, as a little child, he should have been put to death because that was the commandment of Pharaoh. But there were, I'm sure, crocodiles around, as there still are today, and the Nile, which should have been dangerous for the child. But God's hand, God's eyes were on him. And uh, as we thought about last week, he was taken out, and he was put in a place where he could be educated, a place where he could grow up. So that's where we take take up our reading from verse 11. So it's Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. We'll read it together. Now it came about in those days that when Moses had grown up, that he went out to his brethren and looked on their hard labors, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that, and when he saw that there was no one around, (coughs) he struck down the Egyptian. That struck down means he killed him and hid him in the sand. And he went out the next day and behold, two Hebrews were fighting with each other. And he said to the offender, why are you striking your companion? But he said, who made you a prince or a judge over us? Are you intending to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and said, surely the matter has become known. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled for the, from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters and they came to draw water and fill the trough with the water to water their father's flock. Then the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. When they came to Ruel, their father, he said, Why have you come back so soon today? So they said, An Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds. And what is more, he even drew the water for us and watered the flock. And he said to his daughters, Where is he then? Why is it that when you that you have left the man behind. Invite him to have something to eat. And Moses was willing to dwell with the man, and he gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses. Then she gave birth to a son, and he named him Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Now we also, just again, read it for the sake of time, um, for 
connection was we read in Acts chapter 7. So if we can just read that again, because there's a very strong connection with this is the account that was given by Stephen before he was stoned. So Acts chapter 7. And this time we just read from verse 21. And after he had been exposed, uh, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and nurtured him as her own son. And Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians. <coughs> and he was a man of power in words and deeds. And when he was approaching the age of 40, it entered his mind to visit his brethren, the sons of Israel. And when he saw one of them being treated unjustly, he defended him and took vengeance for the oppressed by striking down the Egyptian. And he supposed that his brethren understood that God was granting them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were fighting together and he tried to reconcile them in peace, saying, Men, you are brethren, why do you injure one another? But the one who was injuring his neighbour pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you not mean to kill me as he killed the Egyptian yesterday? And at this remark, Moses fled and became an alien in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. And after 40 years had passed, an angel appeared. Just reading that, uh, that gives us a little bit more information uh, than we read in Exodus. The time, the time period here is important just to get it all fitted in. It's Moses' life very neatly falls into three categories. 340 years, he died when he was 120. Uh, the first 40 years, you could put it down to him being prepared by God, being educated in the very uh, advanced uh, education system that Egypt apparently had at that time. Egypt was one of the most prominent advanced nations in the world at that time. And Moses was a prince, an adopted prince, albeit, but he would have been educated in their system. And of course, being a prince, he would have been given the best tutors and the best uh, opportunities that he could possibly have had. And of course, that was all in the hand of God. That was God had called him out of the water, out of potential death, and given an education, preparing him for leadership. It's always lovely, I think, just to sometimes step back, and as we thought last week, just to enjoy seeing God's hand. Now, in, in the Word of God, you can see it all laid out, but the important thing, and this is why our subject today is, is looking at taking matters into our own hand. And I chose that hymn for us to sing, Be Still. Uh, Be Still and Know That I Am God. It's, a, it's important in our lives to acknowledge 
how far above us God is that we sometimes fall into the trap time and time again of thinking we know better. Now, whilst we don't come right out and say, oh, no, I know better than God, we act as if we're saying that. Because we keep questioning and saying, well, isn't it obvious that such and such a thing should happen? So what's God playing at? Why hasn't he done it? Rather than looking at, well, God's way above us. His knowledge is so much greater. He is so supreme and majestic. And as I thought in prayer this morning, we are dust. <laughs> he made us out of the dust of the earth. That's how we compare ourselves with God, who is eternal. So who are we to question God? Now, you get the situation coming here. It's showing up in the hand of God with the people of Israel and the calling of Moses in leadership. He's preparing Moses for a purpose. So the first 40 years, educate him. The second 40 years was, <coughs> I don't know how to say de-educate him, <laughs> if there's such a word, <coughs> to learn humility. So he had to learn the, the facts about leadership, of how to control men and women, and how to be, have a, an understanding, a general understanding of the things of this world. That's important. So education is important to all of us today. But it took 40 years in the, in the time span of God for Moses to be taught humility. And it's a picture of the shepherd. Maybe we think a little bit disdainly of somebody who's a shepherd and think, oh, it's not that important a job. You don't need to be highly educated to be a shepherd. Well, <clears throat> maybe that, that's a bit unfair. Because um, I've had some dealings with shepherds in my younger life and uh, <coughs> I don't think I could have done it <coughs> without a lot of education. There's a great a knowledge of the sheep. So when I say he had to learn humility, it was a little bit more. He had to learn not just how to handle people but to treat them fairly to treat them wisely and to recognise that in the things of this world and particularly when you're dealing as a shepherd with nature you're relying on God so it's not about just relying on self if you go into education thinking I'm going to fill my head with knowledge so that I will become prominent and important and command high salary and be a great leader and be used mightily and it's all about me then you're going to fall on your face at some stage and so Moses had to go into the second stage of learning like David had to you know that when uh, David we thought about that this morning in our thanksgivings with uh, that David was somebody who had the heart of God. And he was a shepherd. You compare him with Saul. Uh, Saul was the, the choice of Israel. He was tall. He was a great warrior. He was well educated. But he didn't 
have David's understanding of God. He didn't have the heart and the mind of God. <clears throat> so Moses had to learn that. And then in the last part of his life, which we'll go on to read later, the final 40 years was where all of that came into play, where God used him and his knowledge that he gained in Egypt to negotiate with Pharaoh and to understand the mind of the Egyptians. But more importantly, because he was somebody who had been brought low in humility, he was able to stand between the people and God and to understand the mind of God in order that he could then relay it to the people of Israel. So it's lovely just to see God's hand on Moses planning it all out so that in God's way, in God's time, he got the perfect man. And of course, you can then take that as a shadow of Christ. We'll come back to that in a minute. Interesting that uh, the very first thing that it seems that we read about in Mo with Moses, that having had his 40 years of learning and learning on the skills and uh, about <coughs> the things of the world, and of course Egypt, Egypt was a very advanced nation then. We know at that time there were great pyramids being built and there's still people scratching their heads today wondering how they did it. And uh, there was a great knowledge amongst the leaders in Egypt and uh, Moses was in the middle of that and, but coming out of that he'd obviously been taught as we thought last week by his mother and maybe his sister um, about the promises of God about God's dealing with the Hebrew people and he knew his place he knew his position and of course he was, had that instilled in him. And so when he grew up, he would have been aware of his difference between his other princes that he was maybe being educated in the classroom with, who were Egyptian. He was a Hebrew. He was different. And of course, the first thing he does is he sees injustice. And he goes in there and he's all powerful. He's the man that's going to sort them out. And he goes in there and he kills the Egyptian. Now this is again a, it's a, a worldly reaction. <clears throat> We're seeing it in Donald Trump. <laughs> it's just a reaction with some people when they get into power who are not prepared for it and haven't got the wisdom for it. Is that they act as if like dictators. And we've seen that in history all through the years that uh, people who are not understanding and are not in the mind of God, make decisions that are just based on worldliness. And here he comes out and he acts and his way of dealing with a problem is to bring death. You can compare that with Christ again, of course. Thinking again, Christ was prepared by God as a man. Of course he was God, but as a man, he had to learn from his own parents. He had to learn in the carpenter's shop. He had to be prepared by God for the three years that he was being given to go and to teach 
prepare the way for his own death. The first time you read about the Lord Jesus Christ uh, with, in all humility, coming to John in the waters of baptism and asking that he might be baptised. If there was anybody that didn't need baptising, it was the Lord Jesus. He didn't need to do that. But he wanted to show his subjection to the fact that he was the Son of Man. He was like his brethren. And he was preparing himself <coughs> and showing to everyone, A, that he'd come from heaven, but he was a man. And he was going into the waters of baptism, preparing the way for something that was the most important thing that happened in this world. Also, you can think about the Lord Jesus' first, um, um, first miracle in comparison with Moses also, that taking water and making it into wine was again a giving. It was a, an action of taking the water as important though it was and God-given and enhancing it almost to the point of um, creating enjoyment and giving enrichment and wanting to um, promote, if you like, the enjoyment, A, of marriage <coughs> and the enjoyment of his fellow brethren he wanted to give. So it was just the opposite of death. Uh, the Lord Jesus was coming to give life. <coughs> the Lord, uh, Moses says in verse 11 that, um, that he looked um, on the hard labours of his brethren. It's a, it's a word which the Hebrew word means actually um, to look or to see with emotion. It wasn't just a, he went out there and just happened to see. He, he was aware of it, obviously. And then when he saw the injustice happening before his eyes, it's understanding and being emotional about it. That's what the Hebrew word means. So it's never usually some one English word that um, you can put in its place. The word see can mean so many things, but this was a, a deeper uh, rooted word that meant to understand with emotion. And uh, again, he saw it and he acted. When you come into the next chapter, um, when the Lord, uh, sorry, when Moses met the Lord at the burning bush, which we'll be coming on to later, the Lord God talks there about the fact that he has seen the suffering in Israel, in, in Egypt, by the Hebrews. And again, it wasn't just a case of that, that, they, that God was 40 years behind Moses. This was all the workings and the plan of God. God saw this all, of course, long before even Moses did, <laughs> and knew and understood it. But it's the timing, you see, is important. Moses saw it and decided, right, I've got to do something about it now. And the Lord waited another 40 years before he said, now I'm ready to act. And I think we've just got to learn so much from that. 
uh, in, in our own lives, when there's things that we just see that might be an obvious injustice, might be something that's so obviously what God would not want, and therefore you're crying out, why don't you deal with it? I mean, it's, I know it's, it sounds a terrible thing to say about God, but it's, it's, what are you playing at? You just, you don't seem to do it, things that I ask you to do. And you think, who am I? How dare I be telling God when and what I should be doing? He knows best. You take it to him and you trust him. And then you wait on him. And if he wants it done now, it will happen now. But he might want it to happen in 10 years' time. Or actually, he might decide that your understanding of the whole situation is so bomb that he's not going to deal with it at all. <laughs> or he's going to say no to your demands. You're actually way off course. And do we need to trust him on that? You get the, again this story about uh, the, the hiding of the body <clears throat> and the next day going out and meeting this man, the same man, and he's beating one of his own brethren. And he's saying, hey, this is wrong. It's all right to kill Egyptians, but don't, don't kill your own people. <coughs> and of course, the answer the question comes back to him, who do you think you are? That you, if you're going to judge us, who gave you authority? That's the same thing that was a, directed at Christ, of course. That when Christ was here, that was what the, the Jews were saying. Who do you think you are? He said, I'm the Son of God. And they, they crucified him for it. Who do you think you are? The people, <coughs> the Hebrews, I don't think were ready either. When again you get, God is looking always at the bigger picture. That he's not just looking at the preparation <coughs> of Moses to get the Hebrews or the Israelites out of Egypt. He's preparing the Israelites. <coughs> it's a sad fact of life that many of us, in order to understand the mind of God, have to suffer. <coughs> and of course, the, if you like, one of the greatest examples of it in scripture is this example of Job. That Job was actually a righteous man before uh, Satan came and asked God to have him for a period of time. <coughs> and God allowed it. And of course, the, the human instinct is, why? Why did God allow this? Or the same thing that happens is, why does God allow suffering in the world? Why does God allow suffering amongst Christians? Why does God allow suffering amongst the people of God? At the end of Job's experience, he was able to stand up and say, now I see God. 
not seen God before? The answer was no. He had an understanding, a superficial maybe understanding. But what he saw through his experience and what he gained out of that experience was way up there compared to what if God had not allowed that to happen in his life. Now I know <coughs> sometimes I remember somebody saying to me one time, <coughs> I don't want that. Just leave me alone. I'm always saying to God, leave me alone. Don't bring suffering. Although the outcome might be a deeper understanding. I don't want that. Well, I think God knows our minds and hearts. And if we trust him, we want to know him. God wants us to love him. And it doesn't seem a natural reaction for us, if you like, to love God and God's response is to bring suffering. But what God wants to do is to reveal himself. And through his revelation will come our desire to want to please him and to serve him. But sometimes we have to be shaken out of our apathy, shaken out of our complacency, shaken out of this attitude. Well, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven anyway. Does it really matter how I conduct my life? Well, the answer from God is yes, it does matter. Because you're going to stand before me one day and you'll give an account. And you will answer me. And I'll ask you, do you love me? Where's the evidence? I think um, in <clears throat> going back to Moses, it was uh, it was almost like a disaster had happened that when when Pharaoh heard, Pharaoh wanted to kill Moses because of what he had done, and you think, well. God's plans are collapsing here. Um, everything's going wrong. This man that he'd been educated, or God had put in a place where he could be educated, and he's ready, surely, to deliver the people of Israel now. He's gone and messed up. He's gone and committed murder, and he now has to flee. This is again all part of the hand of God. As we thought about earlier, it was part of God's training for Moses. He became an alien, an exile. He goes out, he has to leave his background of luxury. He has to leave his people and he has to go and mix with another group of people. Actually, the Midianites, Midian was the offspring of Abraham and his second wife after Sarah had died Abraham married a woman called Keturah and one of the offspring I think it was five or six children one of them was called Midian so here you're seeing a group a subgroup almost they were not in the direct line of Isaac which is where God's promises had been given it's in a subgroup Again, wondering whether 
this was Mo Abraham who had gone against the will of God had uh, created this difficulty because all these enemies of Israel can sometimes be, if you go back, they, they are all being uh, originating with people who either clearly disobeyed God or appeared to disobey God and the outcome was just nothing but difficulties and problems for, for Israel. And again, you just see man's uh, difficulty he has if he'd only just obeyed, if he'd only just followed God and trusted him, these things would never have happened. But then God in his grace, he uses them to his glory. So he's taken out there and he goes to a well, <laughs> which seems to be the place. Go to the well, that's where you get water, <laughs> obviously. But that's where the, the heart of a community was. Because that's where everybody needed water and everybody had to go there to get it. And so therefore, after the communities congregated together. And of course, you read that again through the scriptures of coming to the well. When the Lord was here, it was at the well that he revealed things, where he saw people he knew would be there. <coughs> here you're getting Moses brought to the well and there God's hand is on him. And uh, he meets up with Jethro and, uh, or Rule <coughs> again. Again, this is that if you read this in your own time, I don't spend too much time. Sometimes there are different names used here. Uh, the, the, the priest of Midian was called Rule. But then you read in the next chapter that uh, Moses' father in law was called Jethro. And you think, how does that work out? Well, we, we, most people believe it's the same man, it's just a different name and maybe a different language. Um, it's kind of unlikely that his father-in-law died and he remarried. There's also a little bit of confusion. You read about later in scripture that Moses was married to an Egyptian. No, an Ethiopian, to get it right. And you think, well, how is that? Well, again, an e the Ethiopians were from Cush. And uh, they were connected, they believed, to Midian. And they were interchangeable. So, although it sounds as if it's a contradiction, there are reasons uh, that they could in fact be uh, one and the same thing. Um, just in closing here, I just they, it's just good, I think, just to look at this section of scripture uh, and to see um, God's grace working here that even although Moses messed up, God still <coughs> is outworking is evident. And there, as we thought about, he learned to look after sheep. He had obviously had great desires of being a prominent leader in Egypt, of maybe how he had great thoughts about how he was going to sort Pharaoh out, how he was going to get his people released or given important places. And whatever the thoughts were going through his mind, they were not the mind and the thought of God. And so he had 40 years to meditate on this before God called him. I think it's uh, 
again, good for us to think about. You know, sometimes you might be at stages in your uh, service for God where you're thinking, why is God not using me? Or why is God not really giving me gifts <laughs> or a gift that, like that man or, or that woman, <laughs> and you question it all. And I think maybe that was where Moses was for 40 years. And at the age of 80, God is says to him, now you're ready. And that can happen to all of us. One time maybe you feel you should be doing more or you should be doing certain things. Take it to God and just wait on him. He's maybe preparing you for something. It can be even at different stages. It's just to enjoy the trust. <coughs> enjoy that God knows best and be open with God in telling him what you're prepared to do. It would be lovely, of course, if you could say, well, whatever, use me. But even if it's in part, I can't allow you to use that part of my life. I'll give you a little part. It's not ideal, but God's a gracious God. And be open with him about these things. You can see it in Israel and we enjoy it and therefore enjoy it today. All God wants from us is that we love him. What's the greatest commandment? It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your might. That's the greatest commandment. That's what God above everything else wants. Are we there? Are we able to say, yes, I do? Above everything else, I love God. And I'll do what he asked me to do. Moses had a heart that was in tune with God. And God was able to use him. Therefore, if God's going to use us, we need to have a heart in tune as well. Shall we pray?